I'm so glad you guys are here tonight. I'm excited about the word God has for us. We're going back to the old school tonight. And by that, I mean Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And if you need a hint, it's right after 1 Samuel. So maybe that will help you out some. If not, you can refer to the table of contents located at the very front of your Bible, which God also in his inspiration placed in his word so people like us could find our way and navigate because some people don't know the book as well as others. Some people haven't been exposed to the book as much as others. Some of you didn't grow up in a church family or in a church home where you did Bible drill and all that kind of cool stuff. And so there you go. God put you a cheat sheet right in the front of your Bible. Second Samuel chapter 9 tonight. I love the Old Testament. Most people, I feel like, shy away and get intimidated by it, and I understand that. There's a lot of wild stuff in the Old Testament. It can be difficult to read at times, but listen to me. You can't fully appreciate the new if you don't walk through and understand the old. It's full of amazing instances and narratives that completely foreshadow everything that Jesus was and everything that Jesus was going to come to do. So in the passage where we find ourselves tonight, there's an interesting account between King David and a man named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I bet I've said Mephibosheth probably 750 times over the past few days so I could hopefully prevent myself from having a train wreck up here tonight saying his name. I'm not going to make any guarantees, but I have practiced and I have practiced and I have practiced, so hopefully we will make it through tonight without completely jacking up Mephibosheth. And for what we're about to see, to make any sense to you, I need to bring you in on some context. So King Saul was the first king that was ever anointed to be king of Israel. After he reigned for a certain amount of time, God anointed David who we just saw mentioned in the song we just sang, God anointed David to be the next king of Israel. So King Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan and David became best friends over time. They did everything together. They went everywhere together. They were like best buds attached at the hip. You couldn't find one without the other. And so David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Jonathan is one of his best friends. And after David was anointed to be the next king of Israel, Saul became infuriated by that fact. And so where he used to have David sit in his courts and play the harp for him and serve underneath his leadership, when he found out David was anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, from that moment onward, he dedicated all of his time, all of his effort, all of his energy, all of his resources to try and kill David. Because he did not want him to take over the throne. So after this goes on over the span of several years, Saul actually comes to terms with the reality that God's anointing has left him in order to fill David to be the next king. And so he makes David make a promise with him. He says, David, I want you to promise me something. And David made the same promise to Jonathan, his best friend as well. He says, when you take over the throne of Israel, I want you to promise me that you will not wipe out my lineage. And so David agrees to that promise. A little bit later on, we see that Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle with the Philistines. And that's when we discover that Jonathan has a son. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, 
we find this tidbit of information that's going to be important for us as we work through our passage tonight. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, and after word gets back to his nanny, that his father and his grandfather have been killed in battle. She picks him up, gathers up all their things, and they're going to take off running because they're afraid that the Philistines will try to come and find him next and kill him. And as he's running away, five-year-old kid running for his life, something happens, he trips and falls, he steps in a crack, I don't know. But the Bible tells us that the result of his injury was that he became crippled in his feet from that moment onward. So as we enter into the story tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David has assumed full authority of the throne. And God's word reads this. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Whew. All right, so we're doing good on Mephibosheth so far. Everybody say Mephibosheth. After I read through this story the other day, I began trying to place myself in the moment. What would it have been like to have been there? What would it have been like maybe to be a fly on the wall as all this is transpiring? Or what might it have felt like to be Mephibosheth? I mean, just imagine at the age of five, your father and your grandfather have been killed in battle in the process of running for your life. You suffer a life-altering injury. Now you'll never walk the same or without assistance ever again. And beyond that, you live in secret and hiding because of your kinship and because of who you are, constantly looking over your shoulder to see if somebody's coming to take you out. And then one day, your worst fear sets in. 
a man shows up saying that the king has commanded you be brought in. And as Mephibosheth walked into David's court that day, he had to have been filled with fear. David already had a reputation of being a mighty warrior, and it preceded him. And so as he walks into his court, he falls down on his face before David, and David yells out, Mephibosheth! And I would imagine in that moment, Mephibosheth was probably like, yep, that's it. I'm dead. It's over. It's been a good run. But he knows who my dad is. He knows who my granddad is. I'm the last of the lineage. He's going to kill me. It was good while it lasted, but there's no chance I'm getting out of this alive. And David says, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. And that's when I was struck with something. In place of David literally killing Mephibosheth, he kills him with kindness instead. And I thought that would make a cool message title. Kill him with kindness. Kill him with kindness. And the Lord began to speak to me saying, I want to teach you some things about kindness. And as he taught me some things about kindness, I want to teach you guys some things about kindness tonight. Can I do that? Do I have your permission? Let's learn a little bit about kindness tonight. It seems like our world has a severe deficiency or lack of kindness. Would you agree? People are just increasingly more angry, more frustrated, more ill, more disgusted all the time. And it really kind of got expedited, I think, when COVID hit and nobody really knew what to do. And then we all had to stay inside of our homes and we couldn't be around anybody for an extended amount of time. And then we, we could finally come out and be around people again. It's like we were just mad at everybody. Everybody was just upset. Everybody was just ticked. Like, you think we'd all be happy after coming out of isolation to see people again, but instead it's like we came out swinging. It's like we had time to sit in isolation, and then we realized just how bad we hated everybody around us. And, and it, it gets perpetuated, I think, and it gets aggravated by politics. It gets aggravated by media. It gets aggravated by the busyness of our own lifestyles. Have you ever noticed, maybe it's not true for you, but the busier I get, the more angry I get, it seems like. And so our lives are ever increasing in pace. And the faster and faster they get, it's almost the more angry and angry we become. The more frustrated we become, the more ill we become, the, sh the shorter our fuses become in the process of all those things. And to be honest, I, I think all of us in this room, as well as the world outside of this room, could use a good dose of kindness. David said at the beginning of this account, I want to show someone the kindness of God. And in his doing so to Mephibosheth, we can learn some things about how we can also show someone the kindness of God as well. And there's an awesome connection that we're going to make at the end of all of this. But when it comes to showing kindness, here's what I want you to start doing. I want you to seek out the opportunity. If you go back and look kind of in the first five verses of everything that's taking place in the midst of this, and I want to reread some of this stuff just so you don't get lost in the details. It says that when David took the throne, he said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. 
And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Matthew, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And the king David sent and brought him from the house of Matthew, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. So David has finally become the unopposed king of Israel. Something he had to wait for around 15 years or so to see come about. 15 plus years after God anointed him that day in the sheep pasture have gone by from the time where he is now sitting as the unopposed king of Israel. And it's something that time and time again had put his life in danger because of his anointing. Yet no sooner than he takes the throne, he's asking for an opportunity to show kindness to someone. I don't want you to miss the impact of the details. This man has had to wait for what would be, for most of you in this room, over half of your life to see the fulfillment of a promise of an anointing that God had given to him, while at the same time, it constantly putting his life in danger, has now finally seen the fullness of that promise come to pass And he says, now that I'm finally unopposed, the first thing I want to do is I want to show somebody some kindness. We were in isolation for a few months and we came out swinging at everybody. David for 15 plus years has tried to run and hide from a man who wanted to kill him for taking over his throne. And now he finally gets his position of authority. He finally gets his position of power. You would think he would be a little bit ill. You think he'd be a little bit upset. You think he'd be a little bit angry. You think he'd be ready to swing at somebody. And yet he says, I, I got to find somebody to be kind to. <laughs> and not just anyone, but the grandson of the man who for so long was trying to kill him. In specific, is there somebody left of Saul's house that I can show kindness to? Let me get this straight, David. You want to show kindness to somebody who belongs to the same household of the cat who's tried to kill you for the past 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to find that guy. I want to show him some kindness. It's amazing to me that he would be willing to do that. And regardless of all that, what I want you to see is that he was seeking out this opportunity. He went and he told Ziba, is there anybody that I can show kindness to. And Ziba said, well, yeah, there's this one guy, kind of a weird-named fellow, Mephibosheth. And by the way, he's crippled in his feet. I'm sure, I'm sure Mephibosheth really, really appreciated the fact that every time somebody brought up his name, they had to bring up his handicap. But isn't that what we do so often? We identify people with their weakness. I don't know, maybe we'll come back to that. Crippled in his feet. Mephibosheth, he's Jonathan's son. He's crippled in his feet. And David said, yeah, him, go get him. Where's he at? Well, he's over at this other kind of weird name, dude house, matcher. David's like, yeah, go, go get him and bring him here. I want to show him the kindness of God. And see, it's opposite because what we would have expected David to be seeking was vengeance. David should have said, go and get this guy. He's the grandson of Saul. The guy that was trying to kill me for 15 years, go get him. I got something for him. (laughs) 
but instead he's seeking him out to show him kindness. How often, how often do you make it a point to seek out an opportunity for kindness? How often do you make it a point in your life to seek out an opportunity for kindness? Because I don't think most of us begin our day with the thought of, who can I show the kindness of God to? It's just not a natural default mentality for us. To wake up on a daily basis, especially after all that we've been through over the past couple of years, I would dare say there may not be one person in this room that wakes up in the morning and begins the day with the thought of, who can I be just overly kind to? Who can I just pour the kindness of God on top of? But check out what we find in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul's writing to these believers. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Every one of us, before we walk out of our homes in the morning, have to put clothes on. If you choose not to, we have laws for that. And it's called indecent exposure, and it's frowned upon. You can't do that. So every single one of us, when we wake up in the morning, we have to clothe our bodies before we walk outside the door. But as followers of Jesus, listen, we're told to clothe ourselves with kindness. Clothe yourself with kindness. That means with each day, as followers of Jesus, we need to put on kindness. Why? So we have it on us when the opportunity arises to show it. There are a lot of hurting people in this world. They're in your classes. They're at your job. They're on your team. They're in your dorm. They're a part of your family. They're at the grocery store. They're at the gym. They're at the gas pump. They're hurting from relationships. They're hurting from broken families. They're hurting from financial struggles. They're hurting from past failures. They're hurting from a sickness and a diagnosis that they never thought they would receive. And most times, we blow right by them and never see it because we never sought it. How many times do we as a people of God, blow right past the people who are in so much pain and so much sorrow and so much agony, and yet we just pass right by them because we never sought an opportunity to show them the kindness that they needed in the midst of their hurt. I found this to be true about kindness, at least in my own life. If I never seek it, I'll never show it. It has to become a discipline within your life as a follower of Jesus to seek out the opportunity to show others around you the kindness of God. I want us to be a people like David who wake up and say, is there someone who I can show the kindness of God to? Let's start waking up our day with that mentality. Let's start starting our day with that mindset. Somehow, some way. I'm going to try to find a, a way to put like the biggest, the world's biggest sticky note on the ceiling above our bed. So when I wake up in the morning, I look up and it's going to say, is there someone who I can show the kindness of God to today? How could that change the lives of those around us? Even more so than that, how could that directly change our lives as followers of Jesus? If we're going to kill our world with kindness, you've got to start seeking out the opportunity. But when you find the opportunity, here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to extend it unmerited. So if you go back and look at the story, once again, it says in verse 6, it says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. 
And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. So let's picture the scene together. Mephibosheth comes in trembling, and he falls down before David, thinking he's a dead man. And David snatches him up, shouting his name in excitement, not in anger. He's like, dude, Mephibosheth, I've been looking everywhere, everywhere for you, man. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I've had somebody searching high and low for you to bring you into my house. So, so listen, don't, I can see it all over your face. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Nothing bad is going to happen. I'm not going to kill you. Nothing like that is going to take place. I've got the hookup for you. Saul's got all this land that he used to own. I tell you what, I'm going to give that back to you. And then I'm going to double up on the deal as well. And, and see my table right here where, where I eat at with all my big wigs, all my advisors, all my important people? You're going to sit right here next to me. That's going to be your spot. I'm going to have a name tag on the back of this seat. So when you come in, you're always going to eat at my table. And just imagine the pendulum of emotion that Mephibosheth has just experienced. In one instance of a few seconds... He goes from thinking he's dead at the hands of David to getting dapped by the hands of David. I mean, literally, complete swing of emotion. This guy's going to kill me, to now this guy's walking up to him. He's like, Mephibosheth, my boy, been looking everywhere for you. So glad you're here. Listen, here's what I'm going to do. All this land that your granddad, I'm going to give that back to you. You're going to sit here right next to me. Here's your assigned seat at the king's table. Check it out, dude. And his reaction shows us his utter shock. As what he says back to David, he says, what is your servant? In other words, who am I that you would show regard for a dead dog like me? In other words, why would you do something like this for someone like me? I'm a crippled up nobody. I've never done anything for you. Don't you remember, David, who my family is? My granddad was the guy that spent his whole life trying to kill you. Why would you do something like this for me? Why would you show me this kind of kindness? He refers to himself as a dead dog. It was obviously a, a term of abasement, of just absolute nothingness. He had no self-value for himself. He had no self-esteem. He had no self-confidence, especially standing within the midst of a king. And not just any king, but God's chosen anointed king. And he is just absolutely amazed at the fact that David would extend to him this kind of kindness when he had not done anything to earn it. When he had not done anything to deserve it. But David extends it to him in an unmerited way. That's what unmerited is. You know what unmerited means? It means not deserved or earned. And so David extends this kindness to this man in an unmerited way. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything to earn it. David just gives it to him. He just extends it to him. Out of the goodness and the loving kindness of the God he knew, he says, I'm going to reciprocate that to you as well. Even though you did nothing to earn it, even though you did nothing to deserve it, here you can have it anyway. And David teaches us a tremendous lesson about showing kindness and that it shouldn't require earning, it shouldn't require deserving before we decide to extend it. It's very easy for us to become particular with our kindness. 
we can become particular in who we show it to, but we can also become particular in how we release it. So let me show you what I mean by that. Often our kindness is underwritten with a return policy. And so if I'm shown a kindness, that's when I'll return a kindness. But that's the only way for some of us that ever gets brought out. If I'm shown a kindness, I will then return a kindness. But it's got to be extended to me first before I will extend it back to anybody else. But the other layer to this is that often our kindness is with underlying motives. And so the only reason I'm showing it is for the sake of gaining from it. And so a lot of us withhold and reserve our kindness for instances in which we only have underlying motives for. And so the only time your kindness comes out is when you have something else that you're trying to gain from it. And neither one of those instances is our kindness being given in an unmerited way. And so the only time we release it is when we are profited by it or profited from it. And that's why kindness is such a rare thing amongst our world. That's why kindness is even such a rare thing within the house of God is because we only seem to release or extend it or show it when we are either profited by it or when we profit from it. But David shows that's not how godly kindness operates. There was no personal gain or advantage for David to show this man kindness, but he extended it regardless. Listen, seeking opportunity is no good if we're going to limit how we extend it when the opportunity comes. The world doesn't have to earn or deserve or merit our kindness for it to be extended. At least it shouldn't have to. Especially for those of us who call ourselves born again sons and daughters of the king. So when the opportunity finds you, extend your kindness in an unmerited way. Whether it's deserved, whether it's earned, whether it's merited or not, you give it. You give it. Because that's how the kindness of God operates. And one last thing I want to show you that, that goes into showing kindness to those around you is that when you do so, you bestow a blessing. So after all is said and done, in verses 9 through 13, it talks about how David calls in Ziba, his servant, once more, and he tells him, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you all of Saul's land back. You're going to have this seat at my table, and Ziba right here and his servants, they're going to work for you ultimately. So after David has Mephibosheth brought in, he informs him of what all this kindness entails. Here comes all your land back. Here comes a permanent seat at my table. On top of all that, he says, I know you're crippled in your feet because everybody seems to make that abundantly obvious. That's at your weakness. Every time they mention your name. And so I know that it's not going to really do a man that has two crippled feet very much good to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of land. Would it not be like the greatest insult of all time? to tell somebody that you're going to bless them with all this land that they can work and they can till and they can use for their own good, but they don't have any feet to actually walk through it themselves. It almost would have been like a double insult. And, and this guy could look back to David, but you're kidding me, right? Like, you think that's a blessing? You're going to bless the, the guy who can't walk with a bunch of land that he can't walk through. Cool, man. Real cool, David. But David says, no, no, no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of so this guy Ziba right here He's got 15 sons, and he's got 20 servants. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to work the land for you. They're going to till the land for you. And as they do so, as the land produces fruit, as it 
gives an increase, they're going to go out and they're going to collect that and they're going to bring it into your house. And they're going to always make sure that you're provided for. This is a tremendous blessing that David is giving to Mephibosheth through his kindness. And that's what I want you to see. When you show kindness, you bestow blessing. Quite simply like this, kindness blesses. How many of you have ever been shown a kindness by someone? How many of you would then say that kindness was a blessing in your life? Kindness always blesses. When you show it, you bestow a blessing to the person that you're showing it to. When God called Abraham to leave his home, he said in in Genesis 12, 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in other words, Abraham, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. And the same is true for us as those that are children of God, that we are blessed. Why? So we can be a blessing to the world around us. And one way in which we do that is by showing the kindness of God to the people that he has placed within our lives. Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, we should be blessing people around us through our kindness to them. Hey, listen, you want some practicality? It's not that hard. Pay for someone's lunch. Pick up their grocery bill the next time you're at Walmart. I'm not even asking you to do it like at Publix. I know it can, you know, it's a little more. But pick it up at Walmart at least. Pick up their grocery bill. Offer to mow the grass. Offer to clean out the gutters. Offer to wash the windows. For the love that's all of good and kind, cook a meal for someone that you know is sick and can't get out of the house. Bake some cookies and give them to somebody just out of the kindness of your heart. Send a letter of appreciation or encouragement to someone that you know is doing a good but a difficult work. And do it all in the name of Jesus. Do it all for His glory. Do it all for His honor. Do it all for His sake. Listen, anybody around us, anybody that's a part of the world, anybody that is apart from Jesus can show kindness. That's not some magical trait that we gain once we come to know Christ. But the way in which we show kindness is different because we show it in the name of Jesus. Let's kill our world with kindness. If there's one thing that can be said about this group here, about our church, about our fellowship, about our community, I want people to start saying, man, hey, those people from Underwood, that's got to be the kindest group of people I've ever been around. And those people over there, they just ooze the kindness of God. I mean, you don't even have to do anything. It's like they wake up in the morning and they're like, is there someone I can show the kindness of God to? But you got to see this tie-in as we finish up. This is awesome. Mephibosheth, I would bet, had quite possibly been hardened. I bet he had become angry. I would even say he might have even been resentful towards God. I mean, how could he not be, right? This is a man whose father and granddad had been killed at the age of five. This is a man who, in the process of running for his own life because of what had happened, falls down and becomes crippled in his feet at five years old. You know what kids love to do as much as anything? Run! They love to run. Everywhere they go, they, they run, they move, they want to be mobile. Can you imagine being a five-year-old kid and having your feet taken away from you and you can't run? You can't move? 
You look around in the neighborhood and all the other kids are out there playing around, they're playing ball, they're running up and down the streets and you can't? All because of what had happened to your dad, all because of what had happened to your granddad. Can you imagine spending your life afterwards living in hiding, in constant fear, looking over your shoulder, wondering if somebody's going to sneak up and stab you in the back because of your bloodline and your lineage and your kinship. I guarantee you, this man was probably angry towards God. He probably looked at God and said, this is your fault. You let my dad be killed. You allowed me to get hurt, my feet be crippled, so I couldn't enjoy my childhood. It's your fault that I live in hiding, that I live in constant fear every day of my life. This man had to have been hardened. He had to have been resentful. He had to have been full of spite. And yet in 2 Samuel 9, we see that David sought him out. And beyond that, he spared his life. Due to the customs of that time, David had every right to, to wipe him out, to finish him off. But he spared his life. On top of that, he gave him land. And then he sat him at his table, <laughs> showing this man the kindness of a God who he very well may have hated a few moments prior to that. And it melted Mephibosheth's heart. He said, who am, who am I? Who am I? That you would show me this kind of regard. David said, it, it didn't come from me. It's the kindness of God. And so here's where it gets really, really cool. Do you see it? Do you see the gospel? I see the gospel. I told you people shy away from the Old Testament because they're like, it's kind of hard. It's kind of difficult. But it's always a foreshadow of Jesus. It's always pointing to him. It's always pointing to a greater plan. It was always pointing towards redemption. It's always pointing towards what God had in store from the beginning of time, from the foundations of the earth, to send his son on a rescue mission for those of us that were lost and broken in our sin. Jesus, just like David did with Mephibosheth, sought us out. He came after us. He pursued us. He came down from heaven. Why? Because we could never get up to heaven. He spared our life. The Bible says that we were dead as a result of our sin. The wages of our sin with death. But Jesus stepped in and said, I will spare your life by giving mine. And even though we had nothing to our name, in Him we have been given an inheritance. We've been given the riches of heaven. We've been given every good and perfect blessing that comes down from our Father above. Just like Mephibosheth was given land by David, our Jesus has given us an inheritance in heaven. And on top of that, even though we were outcasts, even though we didn't deserve a place, he pulled out a chair and he said, sit down at the king's table. Sit down at the master's table. Jesus pulled his disciples together before he went to Calvary and they had a supper together. And they got to sit at the same table as the Savior. And he said, not just for you guys, but for all who will believe, for all who will call on my name, they'll get to sit at the table with me. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb one day. And I'm going to be sitting at that table because of what Jesus has done for me. Those three souls that gave their lives to Christ last week, they were baptized tonight, they're going to be sitting at that table with Jesus. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserved it. But because Jesus willed it. Even though, hey, you know that Mephibosheth guy, he was crippled in his feet. The very, the very last thing, the very last detail we have in the passage we read says, now he was lame in his feet. You know, just like Mephibosheth, we were crippled. 
crippled by our sin. Do you know what this story shows me? It shows me that our crippledness doesn't prevent God's kindness. Even though we were crippled, dead in our sin, the goodness and the kindness of God came down in the form of the person of Jesus. And love came extending our way. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.